This is a Rooster Teeth production. Is your home decor out to hurt you? Maybe, if it's cursed. Welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes. the podcast where we explore topics of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. And in the case of today's episode, Supernatural. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. Jess, do you have an item that you consider your good luck charm? Maybe it's like a rabbit's foot keychain or your favorite team's jersey that you don't wash all season? <laughs> I actually don't. Um, and that's so weird because I tend to like go into the supernatural, but I don't. Do you? I don't either. And I feel like I need one. I do too. I feel like I should, especially after this episode. I feel like I'm going to need one. <laughs> yeah. If it's like a magic charm that brings me good luck and fortune. Yes, I want it. Give me one. Yeah. Regardless, all around the world, people have different objects and cultures even have objects that they think are special and lucky, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, it is common to associate and imprint objects with good feeling and even sometimes think that they might protect us or enhance our abilities. Conversely, there are objects in this world that are reported to do the very opposite and are perceived as cursed, malicious, and sometimes even dangerous. There are those in the paranormal community who study these objects, locking them away to protect the public from their alleged threat, and even performing rituals and exorcisms to cleanse them of evil. Among those working within this medium is J.W. Ocker, a macabre travelogger and nonfiction writer who specializes in supernatural locales. In 2020, Ocker published Cursed Objects, Strange But True Stories of the World's Most Infamous Items, curating some of the world's creepiest finds, or to quote him, an object that gathers stories to itself, and more specifically, tragedies. Worth noting here, though, Ocker is very quick to distinguish between haunted objects and cursed objects. Yeah, and I mean, whether you believe in it or not, those terms account for two different forces. Yes, yes. Ocker told Vice Magazine that in his experience, ghosts rarely hurt people. This is good news for me. Uh, for, <laughs> for a cursed object to be a cursed object, it is to actually harm someone. They also cause misfortune. It's usually death, but also financial loss, strife, that kind of thing. And if a haunted object does cause serial harm and it hurts more than one person, then it becomes a cursed object as well. Oh, it's like is a distinction I never thought about. Me neither. Yeah, that like a an item can just have a ghost inside of it, but that ghost is a happy ghost. Yeah, or just be like, please help me get out of this place. Yeah. Like, I, you know, be my mm -hmm. friend. But a cursed object is bent on harming you. Yeah. And basically, you don't want to get locked inside a room with a cursed object, keep one in your home, etc., because danger will certainly befall you. In this episode, we're traveling the world to investigate some of the most notoriously haunted, cursed, and supernatural artifacts and objects. These objects range from toys to home furnishings to historical finds to even a phone number. A phone number. Yeah, we'll get to that. But that's an interesting one. Well, first up is a doll. Now, if you're familiar with the Conjuring franchise, you're also familiar with Ed and Lorraine Warren, the famous paranormal investigator couple who involved themselves in high-profile cases of demonic possession. In perhaps one of the most extreme cases of taking your work home with you, the Warrens founded the New England Society for Psychic Research in their own home basement, 
It's a collection of haunted and cursed tchotchkes and artifacts pulled from their various exploits for safekeeping. One of these is the infamous doll Annabelle. My friend Annabelle. Mm -hmm. Annabelle's a bit of a pop culture legend and has made appearances across several movies, even headlighting a few of her own. And while she might be the most famous, she's got some creepy competition. Mm -hmm. And that's who we're covering today, not Annabelle. Sorry, Annabelle. (laughs) You've got the spotlight too much. Today we are talking about someone who stands at 40 inches tall and is stuffed full of wool and straw. In the red corner, it's Robert the Doll. Robert the Doll. (laughs) Robert's tan-colored and dressed in a little sailor suit might be cute if his face wasn't so terrifying. Uh Uh-huh. And he's not as young as he looks, too. Robert's (laughs) been around for about a century and now is kept inside a glass case at the Fort East Martello Museum in Key West. And despite living in Florida... This guy's not a ball of sunshine, Jess. There are claims that RTD is straight up evil. Around the turn of the 20th century, Robert was gifted to a young boy, Eugene Robert Otto, who gave him his name. Sounds cute until you learn that things quickly took a turn for the sinister. One night, Eugene reported waking up and seeing Robert the doll sitting at the end of his bed staring at him. And soon everybody in the house was awakened by sounds of distress and noise and screams coming from Eugene's room. Yeah, when his mother went to check on him, she found Eugene locked inside, curled up in fear, and all the furniture overturned. Poor Eugene. (laughs) I bet Robert was just chilling. Yeah. (laughs) More strange and spooky incidents surrounding Robert continued to happen. Reports from people who claimed to hear like doll giggling, and even some people who thought they overheard a weird voice of someone speaking when Robert was around. Neighborhood children told stories of Robert mysteriously appearing in upstairs windows, moving between them. Locking Robert away in the attic did not help matters because he'd always find his way back to Eugene's room. Eventually, Eugene grew up and got married, but he still kept Robert, though. Yeah, which sometimes you just got to cut the cord, Eugene. Come on, I know it's a childhood, beloved childhood artifact that made you scream in the middle of the night, but sometimes (laughs) you just gotta throw it in a dumpster. Yep. And maybe not so shockingly, but Eugene's wife really didn't like Robert, insisting that he be kept locked in a trunk. Years after Eugene's death... Robert the doll passed to a new owner, a 10-year-old girl. Sure enough, Robert was soon up to his old tricks and left the girl terrified. She told her parents that Robert wanted to hurt her. Yeah, and that's when they was like, enough is enough. Yeah, that's like, what is this? And the fact that they didn't like know each other. Yeah. Obviously, it's a 10-year-old girl, you know? And also, by this point, this doll is like 70 years old. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if imagine if your parents gave you a toy and they were like, this is almost a century old. Don't be creeped out by this. Like, of course, you're going to be creeped out by yeah, it's it. It's weird. In 1994, Robert was donated to the museum in Florida where you can go visit and see him dressed in that little sailor suit, which, by the way, belonged to Eugene as a boy. Eugene like dressed him up in the little sailor suit and they were they they fit. It was like a one to one fit that is very strange. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> uh, but also I wonder, you know, is what's he up to? What is Robert the doll up to in RTD? What is he up to in this museum? Is he doing weird stuff? Is the, you know, I'm curious. When the lights go out, mm-hmm. is the glass case a rockin? Oh, I don't know. Is it a Chucky scenario? Will he find a bride? <laughs> oh my God. Chucky gave me nightmares growing up. But second on our list today is a chair. 
Justice isn't just any chair. It's affectionately known as the dead man's chair, or more commonly referred to as Busby's stoop chair, named after the murderer Thomas Busby. Numerous unexpected and tragic deaths have been attributed to that chair, and some claim that sitting in it might be a death sentence in itself. How it became cursed kind of varies depending on your source, so we'll do our best retelling. But it's safe to say that Thomas Busby was kind of a skeezy guy and ran several counterfeit and criminal operations alongside his father-in-law, Daniel Autie. In 1702, Busby and Autie got into a heated argument over business. It didn't help matters that Autie was sitting in Busby's favorite pub chair. So later that night... Busby went to Otty's home and strangled him. It's kind of like a vaudeville act, like Busby and Otty. It's like a Laurel and Hardy situation. Yeah. Uh, Busby's wife ratted him out and he was condemned to be hanged. On the day of his hanging, Busby asked to be taken by his regular pub, which if you listen to our death row last request episode, you know that this is a gesture that really wasn't out of the ordinary, especially a few hundred years ago, like the hangman would walk the prisoner to the pub for a final pint. Yep. And at the pub, Busby then placed a curse on his favorite chair. Apparently, he said, may sudden death come to anyone who dare sit in my chair, or so the story goes. There's a laundry list of stories about individuals who, since Busby's death, allegedly sat in the cursed chair and experienced gruesome or sudden deaths. In 1834, a chimney sweep who reportedly sat in the chair was discovered hanging from the same gibbet post where Busby had been hanging almost 100 years prior. It's likely that he was killed by his friend who he'd been at the pub with. And some Canadian airmen stationed near the pub during World War II sat in the chair. None of the men survived their later bombing missions. Then in 1967, two RAF pilots left the pub after sitting in Busby's chair and crashed their vehicle into a tree dying immediately. Oof. Yeah. And in the 1970s, a beer delivery man who discovered the chair in the pub cellar sat on it. He crashed his truck and died after leaving the pub. There are other stories of accounts of tragedy befalling those who've sat in the chair, like motorcycle accidents, brain tumors, builders falling off roofs, you name it. This kind of makes me think of our Ouija board episode two, Jess, like the history and how that one of the Patent owners, remember he like fell off a roof. Yep. Or what have you, and can't be messing with this stuff. All the all the circumstances just seem to point to stay away from this. Yeah. Yes. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. And eventually, the pub's landlord was like, "I need to do something about this, or I need to make money from it because that pub was renamed to Busby's Stoop Inn, and it's regarded today as one of the most haunted places in Yorkshire." And That chair is no longer in it, though, even though people come and they come to visit the pub and see, you know, where the chair was. The chair has now been removed and hangs from the ceiling at the Thirsk Museum. So it's hanging and no one can actually sit in it. Probably for the for the best. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But there is some controversy around Busby's chair, though, and in questioning as to whether it is all just a hoax. A furniture historian examined the chair and found that it had uh, spindles made by machine. Yeah, this is so fascinating to me. There was a show where they were kind of looking up hoaxes, I guess, and they looked at this chair and saw that the spindles on it were 18th century chairs or at least they would have belonged to one because they were made using tech that wouldn't have existed when like a pole lace that wouldn't have existed when the chair 
was originally supposed to be made. Yeah. The historian clocked the chair's construction around 1840, so over 100 years after Busby was executed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just want to say, Jess, who would have thought that a chair of all things, so innocuous, a chair <laughs> could be cursed? Because I don't know about you, but I love chairs. I love sitting down. Yes, I love, absolutely love sitting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's so weird. Like, this is my chair. I'm going to curse it. Like, yeah. okay, all right. That's your chair. I get it. Yeah, I like that that's, <laughs> well, apparently, because like the story changes. So it's like there are all these accounts of like, oh, he was sitting in Busby's favorite chair. And it's like, dude, that's all you had going on in your life that this chair meant so much to you. Come I on. Know. Yeah. Chill out. I get it's your favorite, but damn. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, you'll want to be sitting down for our next cursed artifact, or should I say artifacts, a whole tomb full of them. The whole tomb. Mm-hmm. Yes, the Pharaoh Tutankhamun, a.k.a. King Tut's tomb, is one of the most incredible, intact ancient Egyptian tombs ever unearthed. Since its discovery in 1922 by an archaeologist, Howard Carter, it's also come to be regarded as one of the most cursed. And even prior to Tut's discovery, there was this notion that desecrating a pharaoh's tomb would bring evil consequences to those involved. That was a thing. Like in Mm -hmm. our grave robbing episode, we talk about, you know, obviously there's a stigma to robbing a grave that this would haunt you. And there were even some tombs that had curses and inscriptions made into the walls to punish or just deter prospective tomb raiders. Yeah, after Tut was unearthed, an onslaught of strange and tragic deaths followed. I you should we should not be messing with the Egyptians, man. They were yeah, they knew what they was were up. another yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Four months and seven days after the excavation, financier Lord Carnivon died from an infected mosquito bite, and this media circus arose around his death. And there was this frenzy of mummy-fearing fever. Italian dictator Benito Mussolini even had this ornamental mummy removed from his house out of superstition once uh, Lord Carnivon died. Oh, yeah. Then, more death. A friend of Carter's, Sir Bruce Ingram, was gifted objects from the tomb by Carter, and it wasn't too long after that Ingram's house burned down. Mm-hmm. Took him what? into his home. Yeah. Carnivon's half-brother also died from blood poisoning. George J. Gould I developed a fever shortly after visiting the tomb and died in the French Riviera in May of 1923. These are all kind of close to when the tomb was unearthed, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like 1922, 1923. Yep. And then there were like a couple other deaths that happened from people on Carter's team where they died suddenly or in a grisly way. But this happens within the next decade. So it's kind of the kind of question you always have to ask is, are these actually connected to the tomb mm-hmm. or is this just people building these connections, right? Yeah. Making what they want to see. And and then Howard Carter, he died 16 years later, but from Hodgkin's disease. Even so, people make these leaps in logic to try to attribute his death to Tutankhamun's curse. Yes. You know, whether all these tragic events were the result of a deadly ancient curse or circumstantial coincidence, who knows? Maybe Tutankhamun was you know, uh, very mad initially. And so all these deaths kind of happen. But then <laughs> over yeah, the years, yeah. as time goes on, he's like, ah, I'm done. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> in re- he's like, in retrospect, I was upset at the time, yes. but now I don't really mind. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just 
maybe don't accept gifts from archaeologists. Maybe that's the new rule of thumb that we, on our rules that we established on this podcast, maybe that's one of them. Yeah, maybe just if it, if it was buried, keep it there for a reason. It's not yeah. supposed to be unearthed. Um, but next up on our list is the Crying Boy paintings. But before we get to those, a word from our sponsors. You guys know that my little weird body causes me lots of issues, but one thing that's really helping me figure out what's going on is Everly Well. Their at-home lab tests and vitamin supplements are digital healthcare designed for you, all at an affordable, transparent price. They've got over 30 at-home lab tests, so you can choose whatever fits your needs, like the woman's health test or food sensitivity test. But here's how it works. Everly Well ships products straight to you with everything in one package. To take your at-home test, just collect your sample and mail your test back to a certified lab using the prepaid shipping label. Easy enough, right? Your physician-reviewed results get sent to your phone or device in literally just days. And you can even share the results with your primary care physician and you guys can go over it together. I have taken this test. I took the food sensitivity test and uh, learned a lot about myself. You guys already know gluten is the issue here. Gluten is, I, I knew it all along. I knew it was gluten, knew it. But for our listeners at home, Everly Well is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash 30mm. That's everlywell.com slash 30mm, 30mm for 20% off your next at-home lab test. Everlywell.com slash 30mm. We've been doing spots for HelloFresh for a little while now, so you, our audience, you know that HelloFresh gives you fresh, pre-proportioned ingredients sent directly to you with delicious recipes. And you probably know that HelloFresh is 25% cheaper than takeout. So helpful when you're trying to save money. But maybe you didn't know that with HelloFresh, you can have your pumpkin spice and eat it too, thanks to their rotating selection of fall-inspired items from the HelloFresh market. Quite literally, they've got brunch kits, fall dessert boards, and everything you need for spooky season. And this is very, very exciting. HelloFresh now has vegan recipes. They're on the menu every week without animal products of any kind. So no meat, dairy, eggs, or honey. And they've got vegan meals like sweet chili tofu bowls or spicy coconut curry stir fry, which sounds really, really good. I actually just made a HelloFresh meal last night, Jess. Ooh. And it was kind of this chickpea salad. It had chickpeas and rice and tomatoes. And it was uh, like the perfect and tzatziki sauce that I made myself. It was like the perfect healthy option. I love it. And also meat-free because you know that I'm not doing as much red meat or yep. anything like that anymore. So in HelloFresh... I was able to put that in and I got that and it was great. I love that. I just got my box yesterday. And one of my favorite things about HelloFresh is that I don't have to think in any mm -hmm. way. I just follow the directions. They give me all the fresh ingredients. Yeah. I just follow directions. And then I have delicious food immediately. And I have been on autopilot. And it's actually quite refreshing because after a long yeah. day and I'm very hungry, I don't want to think anymore. I just want to make some food and eat it. Same. <laughs> I listened to an audiobook while I was cooking. There you and go. And I didn't I didn't need to devote any brain to the meal. See, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, go to HelloFresh.com slash 30MM65 and use code 30MM65 for 65% off plus free shipping. That's 65% off plus free shipping when you go to HelloFresh.com slash 30MM65 and use code 30MM65.
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And back to the show. Now, first up, not to cast any judgment here, but maybe if you've got paintings in your home of random crying kids, you deserve to get cursed. <laughs> yeah, at least have pictures of like your own kids crying. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. Funny, but... but a strange kid that you don't even know is weeping in your home. There's something off there. That's weird. Say. Yeah. Yeah. And which is why the crying boy paintings maybe are as infamous as they are. They are a series of over 60 paintings featuring a young boy, maybe an orphan, who is grief-stricken with tears running down his face. There have been a lot of urban legends and hoaxes associated with the crying boy painting. So let's break down all the malarkey. Now, the original paintings were made by an elusive Spanish painter named Bruno Amadio, who painted them under the pseudonym Giovanni Bragolin. We only have Amadio's word to go by, but he claimed that the subject of his painting was, quote, a little street urchin that he met in Madrid in the 1960s, an orphan boy who had apparently run away after seeing his parents die in a fire. Mm -hmm. And the fire here is really, really key. This is all centered around a fire because wherever this boy and the paintings went, fire allegedly followed Amadio was warned by a local priest that the boy had earned the nickname Diablo because of how many fires happened in his presence. And now remember, this is all being recounted in past information. So we're, we're just telling you what was being said. <laughs> Some urban legends claim that Amadio's studio and apartment caught fire while the boy was living in them, essentially destroying Amadio's livelihood and ruining him. We weren't able to find any validity to this story, though. Yeah, that sounds like something that maybe people just did to amp up the urban legend. They were like, did you know that the boy lived with him? And then he, he yeah. caused the studio, but but who knows? Yeah. And then crying boy mania reached its heights in 1985 when The Sun, a British paper, published an article about a couple whose house burned down, except for one thing in their home, their painting of the crying boy. I would have thrown my hands in the air and be like, okay. Yeah. What, what's going on here? That's, uh. But it's The Sun. Yeah. 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 People started coming out of the woodwork with stories of other house fires where crying boy prints were unharmed. Others report that when they tried to burn the prints, the painting would not catch fire. Oh, yeah. And then on Halloween that year, The Sun, like capitalizing on all of this, hosted this mass bonfire. They told people, bring your crying boy paintings. We're going to burn them. And then they claimed to have burnt more than 2,500 copies of the painting in an attempt to like cleanse the evil for good. I have to say, you know, I know that you're talking about the sun, the newspaper, the but I thought you meant the sun, the sun, like the sun oh. in the sky, which still also could kind of make sense. <laughs> so I just anyway. held a giant uh, magnifying glass over the crying boy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. In 2010, the TV show Punt Pie did a test and discovered that it was possible to fabricate the crying boy painting hoax by coating the prints with fireproof varnish. Mm -hmm. so. either, yeah, either way, I should probably put a pause on the crying girl painting I was having commissioned of myself for Jess's home. Why? Why me? Wait, I was, <laughs> but I was com 
envisioning a portrait of me crying for you. Oh, what? Yes, I figured you'd want that. Oh, it's just two. It's two portraits of you and I in our respective <laughs> bathrooms crying. Yes, so that's where I do most of my crying. <laughs> that's true. It's where you can get away and be alone. So yeah. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But our final cursed object is a bit more abstract and not really actually an object at all. Oh, yeah. Teased at the top of the episode. Here comes the big payoff. It's not an object. It's a phone number. Have you ever called it? No. We could. I guess it's long distance, though. Do we want to incur those charges? We'll have the company pay for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this phone number. And it's a Bulgarian one. I'm afraid to even say it, but I will. Do you want me to say it? You you do it. You take the curse. It's, uh, you know, 359, I guess would be the country code. And then it's 888-888. Eight eight eight. Okay, um, which would be yeah. imagine telling someone your phone number and you're like, okay, yeah, it's it's eight 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 eight. Oh, okay, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but for brevity throughout the uh this section, we'll just refer to it as just eight eight eight. Yeah, I don't want to keep saying it. <laughs> Trips eight. Mm-hmm. As the story goes, this phone number was only in use for ten years before developing a reputation that warranted its suspension. Namely, that all three of the men who at different times held the number died shortly after being assigned it. The first, Vladimir Groshnov, was the owner of Mobiltel, the company that issued the phone number. There were outlandish rumors that he was radioactively poisoned by a business rival, but that sounds like, you know, sensational media to me. Yeah, but the guy that had the phone number died. Like, this sets a bad precedent. That's weird. And then the next guy, Konstantin Dimitrov, a mafia guy, he got 888 next, and he was killed in 2003 by an assassin in the Netherlands, gunned down outside the largest diamond shop in Amsterdam. He he was involved in all kinds of stuff, too, I guess. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. sense, though, that, you know, he was in the mafia. Yeah. But the third and final owner was also involved in illicit activities and got gunned down. Why is this happening so why, much? Why? It's like, does the phone number attract gunner, gunmen? Or yeah. Or is happening so much twice? It's constantly yeah. twice, but yes. Anyway, it's impossible to determine if a pattern was developing because in 2005, the number was removed from circulation entirely. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's the kind of thing where you're like, will another person get gunned down if they have this phone number? But should we even... Wait and see. Probably not. The thing about 888 that I love from a horror fan perspective is usually, you know, the thing about a cursed phone is that you it's it's a you know scream. It's the ghost face mm-hmm. that's calling people on the phone or the ring where the phone just rings and someone picks it up. And usually like someone calls a number, they get a mysterious call from a killer and that's how events are set in motion in horror, but it's never just, you know, you're assigned a phone number mm-hmm. and that curses you. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites is the call is coming from inside the house. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those are always yeah. the, the thing that creeps me out in, in those ghost stories is like the person's inside the house. There's this other one, which it's spooky season. So for the sake of uh, digressing, I'll tell it. But this mm-hmm. one where this woman is in the kitchen washing dishes and she looks outside her kitchen window and she thinks that she sees someone outside looking at her through the window and she gets freaked out and she you know makes sure the door is locked and then she calls the police and the police come really quickly and what they discover that after searching the perimeter of her home was that there's no one outside but what she was seeing was the reflection of someone 
over her shoulder. Like the person was in the house Mm-mm. and they found, they found him hiding in a closet. So that's what she saw. Nope. Um, not looking in. And, and that to me is always like, you know, skin crawling. Right. It's terrifying that they're already inside the house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just one of the worst. Ugh. Ugh. I know. I know. Maybe someday we'll do another episode on cursed and haunted objects because there's just literally so many of them. Oh, yeah. There were too many good ones to really fit in the same episode. There's like the Hope Diamond, James Dean's car, the Terracotta Army. And I also like how diverse these objects are. You know, it's not just dolls. It's not just one specific thing, like even the phone number. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Never even knew that a phone number could be cursed, but now I do. Yeah. And until then, let's just hope that the list doesn't grow any longer. <laughs> For sure. Unless you, you know, curse something before you die. I, God, I would want to. Remember, nope. the the crying woman painting is en route to you right now, Jess. <laughs> no. Well, mine's coming to you soon, too. I, I would not be surprised now if there is fan art made of you and I crying. <laughs> <laughs> Which oh I feel like would be such depressing. It depress- is. I mean, probably wonderfully drawn, but depressing art to receive. But yep, but depressing that we yeah. are just crying. Okay, mm-hmm. well that's okay. Uh, what what are we talking about next week, Elise? We are going to the depths of the Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean, the deepest trench of its kind on Earth. Absolutely, I've seen documentaries on this, and I do not like any of those translucent creatures at the bottom. Mm-hmm. They are so creepy to me. <laughs> if you uh, if you had to travel to the depths of the the ocean or the farthest reaches of space, which one? Oh God, I think we've asked this question maybe on this show mm. before. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think we have. We've asked questions like this, but that is a a great question. The ocean scares me. Like I I love going to the beach. That that's fine. But the depth of the ocean scares the shit out of me. And going that deep, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, there's something about the darkness. Like, I don't like swimming over dark water. No, no, no. way. Mm-hmm. No way. I, I would, I'd probably go to space. No, I don't know. I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> Both are terrifying. Both, I like, I, I is spine tingling for me. Mm-hmm. I just have no, I'm like, I just want to be in a cocoon, if, okay. if that makes sense, because it's so grand and vast. All I keep thinking about, all my body wants to do is just cocoon into itself. Yeah, I think that's the thing is like space feels too big. Mm-hmm. Maybe the trench at least feels contained. And at least it's on Earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. But if you have a fear of the dark and scary and unknown, then this is definitely the episode for you. Yeah, 100%. And then, of course, you know, spooky season. We have a new t-shirt in the RT store, our spirit board shirt. Love it. It's so cute. It's, and it's kind of like romantic and beautiful. It is. And for me, I think I'm going to wear Halloween night with my witch hat. For some reason, that shirt just gives Aww. me witchy vibes. And I just want to like be a cute little witch. Yeah. And also, this episode comes out, I think, the week before Halloween week. No. No, no the week the week before that. Like the se- the week of the 17th. Oh, well, we're we're in the throes of spooky season now. So I hope everyone's enjoying their Halloween month. October. Mm-hmm. Best time of the year. <laughs> best time of the year. And I know we said this in our last podcast, but we'd just love to see your costumes. Yes. We'd love to see them tweet at to. us, you know. And thank you to everyone for subscribing and sharing the show. Appreciate you. We do appreciate you very much. Mm-hmm. Well, let's do our bad bye, Elise. Bad bye. Bad bye. See you next uh, time. Except for when, you, when the painting shows up. Look it directly in the eyes. I'd rather not. Elise, I'd rather not. 
I respect your decision. Thank you. Thank you.